0: Ready to rock our way into this, the shortest day of the longest year. I'm Jody Vance, in for Jill for the next couple of days while she's filling in for Simi on Mornings with Simi. Good to be with you. Uh, The week of Christmas, traditionally a slow news week, but in 2020, it is anything but that. So on the show today, we're going to dip into a bunch of stuff. Politics of all sorts. We're going municipal, provincial, even head to the U.S. to check in. We'll go federal a little bit as well. And yes, there will be some solid Christmas content as well at the bottom of this hour. We're going to chat with an Ontario man. If you're on Twitter, you may have seen this because it's certainly gone viral. Uh, And if you're on Twitter, give me a follow there at Jody Vance. That's Jody with a Y at Jody Vance on Twitter. Um, So this, this man from Ontario... Uh, put together this really simple thread about, I guess, the trappings of Christmas. It's certainly gone viral. His name is Mohammed Hussein, and he is going to join us. Basically, the short of it is he'd never celebrated Christmas being a Muslim, and he would travel back to see his family over the break. At this time, obviously, he can't travel from Ontario uh, because of COVID-19. So his roommates are teaching him about how to have a, quote-unquote, proper Christmas. Oh, man, this thread was so good. We're going to have to just break it down with Mohammed. He's going to join us, as I said, bottom of the hour. Uh, speaking of Ontario, you may have heard the breaking news from there this morning. Premier Doug Ford announcing a prov- province-wide shutdown at 12.01 a.m. on Boxing Day, December 26th. That's this Saturday. And they've also announced that Ski Hills will be closed from Boxing Day until, are you ready for this? At least January 23rd, Ski Hills in Ontario closed. From Boxing Day until January 23rd. Perhaps a a bit of a cautionary tale for British Columbians who are continuing to travel outside of our communities to go on that ski vacation or head up to the cabin. Yeah, we see it. We see the lineups. Oh, those are going viral as well. We'll get into all of this plus BC's unique COVID snapshot. We are not Ontario. We are not Quebec. We are not even Alberta. We're not Washington. We're a bit. Different here, and we'll get our latest snapshot a bit later in the show as we connect with the one and only Richard Zussman, who right this very second uh is preparing for his Facebook Live that he is doing with Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix, with the provincial health officer Dr. Henry, of course, and uh health minister Adrian Dix. So very busy in and around uh global and at CKNW and on Facebook and on Twitter, as you know. So uh <laughs> seriously, as if COVID-19 hasn't caused us all enough almost unimaginable levels of worry and concern in this crazy 2020. Now we're hearing and reading the headlines about this new strain of variant in the UK. This is next level. I mean, Air Canada not flying from there uh, to here because of this. It's very worrisome for, for a lot of us who don't really understand what this all means. So again, knowing the facts from science is key and that's why we are here. And that's why our next guest is such a blessing to have with us because always bringing the goods and breaking it down in a way that we can consume it. I'm talking about assistant professor, Canada Research Chair in the Department of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Manitoba. Jason Kinderchuk is with us. Hello, Jason. Jody, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm really glad to kick off this uh, program with <laughs> a couple of segments with you because I always learn And I get to ask you the questions on behalf of so many of us who who think we're following along, but it gets ever more difficult to really keep fact from from just panic or a little bit of overreaction, maybe. Or is it overreaction? I want to talk through what is happening with regard to the UK. What is a a variant? Are mutations common in viruses? What What are we looking at here? Can you break it down for us a bit?
1: yeah i you know there there's there's certainly a lot of questions there and
2: and listen the last seventy two hours have certainly been uh in, insanely busy and really with trying to figure out what actually is going on and what what information do we have what information are we still waiting for and what is just conjecture so with viruses uh one of the one of the properties that they have that allow them to basically uh, you know, create more and more copies of themselves very easily, is they often uh, do things very quickly. So they, they tend to make a lot of mistakes when they're copying their genome and, and replicating themselves. Coronaviruses are a little bit different. They have basically like a, a, a spell check option in their, their Microsoft Word doc uh, file that, that is their genome. So they can actually mm-hmm. check in real time whether or not they're, they're making the, the, create, uh, the correct transcription of the, the genome that, that they're trying to, but, but they still do make some mutations. <clears throat> so what we've seen with this new variant is actually, you know, whereas we, we predict that we are going to see different mutations that crop up from time to time, um, there suddenly has been this new variant that has shown up that has 17 new mutations, um, and you don't this uh, You know, this is not something that is common with, uh, especially with uh, SARS coronavirus 2 and, and with coronaviruses in general, where you see this extensive of a mutation profile so quickly. And the, the trouble with this is that not only do we see this new variant that has, you know, basically these mutations uh, that, that have been uh, generated um, or, or created in, inside of its genome, but it also seems to be overtaking the current circulating strain in at least in, in the south of England, the east of England and London. So the problem is right now is we're trying to figure out in real time what all this means. We, we know the mutations are there. We know that they potentially have some significance uh, in terms of the biology of how the virus works, um, but we don't know what this actually looks like. Uh, in in terms of uh, laboratory uh, data or or any sort of quantitative data. So, you know, we we have some correlation there, but the causation is still a little bit up in the air. And of course, this is all all occurring in real time when Mm -hmm. we're seeing, you know, the second and third wave in many areas of the world.
0: So when you speak about genomes, just so I have this somewhat, hopefully right in my mind, When we talk about genomes, that's when we can do the antibody testing and say this strain of COVID-19 originated in Italy or this one came from China or this one came from the United States or this one came from. Is that is that what the genome tells us where the origin of it's kind of like
2: it's kind of like the instruction manual. Right. So if you get a piece of of furniture, um, you know, it it tells you how to put things together and, and also it gives you an indication of where that's from.
0: So when we get into the mutation here and what we're seeing, the concerns around this, you know what, I guess the, the, the billion dollar question here is, will a mutation such as the one we're seeing in the UK um, have an impo- impact on how a vaccine may or may not work? Yeah, and,
2: and the billion dollar answer is, is unfortunately, we, we don't know yet. So. Um, what, what we understand right now is, so when, when we think about vaccination and this idea of the, especially the mRNA vaccines, um, the, the mRNA vaccines target essentially the, the entire spike protein, this protein that sits on the surface of the virus and acts kind of like an antenna. Um, so when we, when we get vaccinated, we're generating antibodies against multiple regions of that protein, including some very specific regions. Now, with this new variant, we see some mutations within areas that antibodies tend to like to bind to on the spike protein, which, of course, brings up some concerns about whether or not they will still be able to bind or, or bind less efficiently. But mm-hmm. we also have to understand that with vaccination, it isn't just one type of antibody we're creating. So I think right now um, there certainly is some, I think, interest and potential and concern uh, with, with these mutations because we don't know what, what the ramifications are. Um, but the suggestions so far are that they we don't think that they're going to have uh, massive ramifications on on the, the current vaccines. So a little bit it right now, unfortunately, is you know, we, we have to kind of sit and wait uh, for some of the data to, to be generated. But hopefully within the next few weeks, uh, we should have some answers to those questions.
0: Jody Vance sitting in for Jill for the next couple of days. Glad to have you along. We're chatting with good friend of the program, Jason Kindrichak. He's the Assistant Professor and Canada Research Chair of the Department of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases for the University of Manitoba. And Jason, I want to know if you had a dollar for every time you've been asked about safety with regard to COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, You'd be a very wealthy man. I'm I'm going to guess.
2: (laughs) Yeah, uh certainly that that uh, that has been a frequent question that has come across my my inbox or uh mm. or, or made to me personally.
0: <laughs> so give us your elevator talk on what these whichever of the vaccine now we're talking Pfizer or Mo- Moderna or one of the what is it six or seven that could be uh rolled out in the next uh, weeks and months to come
2: yeah so you know let's let's think about the mrna vaccines uh since those are the ones that have you know certainly represented the the best in the media and and obviously are the furthest along uh in uh in terms of their their approvals so when we think about what these vaccines are we're really giving them uh we're really giving ourselves the blueprints to create uh the spike protein the, the viral protein um that that our antibodies in our immune system recognize when we get infected um, the benefit of this is that we are essentially giving our bodies uh, a representative of the virus without having to give us the virus itself. And mm-hmm. then our immune system can generate antibodies and, and create that, you know, that hopefully longer term immunity um, in the absence of clinical disease from, from COVID-19. Now, we, we have to be realistic when we talk about the fact that there are no severe adverse events with, with the vaccination. Um, we know for the clinical trial certainly we did not see um, signs of, of really strong severe adverse uh, events that that occurred um, we've heard you know certainly discussion about different types of mild to moderate adverse events that have occurred and people including normal people that have been vaccinated that have had things like fever or felt ill uh, for you know for you know a couple of days following vaccination all of this we have to consider as being normal as far as activating our immune system. I, I right. took part in an Ebola vaccine trial and certainly the you know 24 to 36 hours of post vaccination, I felt not that great. Um, but yeah. you know what? I can go to Western Central Africa and I'm not concerned about getting Ebola in the field. Um, with COVID-19 vaccine, yeah, you might not feel you know, tip top shape for, for the first 24 hours after you get vaccinated. Because your immune system is working, but you know what? You're probably not going to be able to get severe disease, which is, you know, to be fair, a lot better than sitting on mechanical ventilation or having long term complications because you got ill from the virus.
0: Exactly. I mean, when you when you draw the parallel to the Ebola vaccine that you had received, I mean, as a kid, my parents took us back to where my mom was born in Yugoslavia, and we had to get typhoid and cholera. Mm vaccines weeks out and i remember as i was a little kid i had my eighth birthday there and so i mean i didn't know what to expect with this and i do remember my shoulders blew up on like at the site was painful for days i was like what have you done to me (laughs) and mom being a scientist did explain exactly what you did it's like i what i've done to you is given you sore shoulders which is way better than the diseases that you are now not going to get while we travel i mean it it It's that it's that level of well. I don't want to be at all uncomfortable. It's like, but what if you were to contract COVID nineteen? I mean, imagine the discomfort for you and vulnerable people in your circle. One hundred percent, right? This to me is always about not only well, certainly not not about
2: myself primarily, but the people around me in my community. Yes, Um, I don't want to be that person that's responsible for somebody getting sick. And if I can do something to protect myself, that is going to give that added layer of protection for those around me. 100% count me in. That that that's my obligation as kind of a you know a good standing member of of our society.
0: At such low risk, right? I mean, that's the piece of this. Okay, but only here I am again running out of time. I feel like we just started talking and I've got a minute to go here. Um, But Jason, when it comes to how the vaccine is rolled out, I mean, we're watching, you watch US news and you're seeing people who have denied COVID-19 being anything but a political sham. you know, rolling up their sleeves and going, absolutely, set me up right here in, you know, the Mike Pence and and, and whatnot, yeah. uh, the Marco Rubios of the world. Here in Canada, we're, we seem to be more um, on track and mindful, frontline healthcare workers, people uh, working at long-term care homes, but there is a little bit uh, in, you know, 50 seconds here, a little bit of concern that it is the people working in the long-term care homes as opposed to actually the residents. Can, can you give some perspective on that?
2: Yeah, I think that we have to think about this from from the guidance of uh, where is our, our best defense. So the, ultimately, we we need to get people in long term care homes that that are residents vaccinated, but we also have to have people that are caring for them vaccinated because we have to be able to provide that level of care for the patients that are sick from COVID nineteen and that require that care to have any sort of sustenance of, of normal life. So I, I certainly understand what, what, what the strategy is. In the background, we have to always remember our underserved communities. That's one thing that, that we need to do in Canada is, is appreciate that there are communities that uh, have gotten forgotten or have been forgotten in the past in regards to, to vaccination. So we, we need to remember where, where they stand, too.
0: Yes, we need to make that that wall of safety and security for those who perhaps do not have the protections the rest of us might enjoy. Jason, always a pleasure to speak with you. If I don't get a chance to talk to you again before the holidays, please all the best to you and your family and your cute puppy.
1: Likewise, Jody,
0: keep well. Oh, you know the that musical uh, note, those notes make us all feel like Christmas. Oh, the Charlie Brown Christmas. It's part of who we are. It's like in our fabric. But is it? I mean, with every day, we get a little bit more um, diverse in what we celebrate and how we celebrate. And yeah, it's time to get a little bit of Christmas into the show, but there's no caroling here or gift advice, no secret Santa talk. It is snowing a little bit though. I will have on this the, the shortest day of the longest year we could possibly imagine. There is a snowfall warning in effect that you may have heard in, in the news there. And we are getting people sort of chiming in on Twitter uh, at Jody Vance. Send me what's the weather like where you are. We do have listeners across the country because I'm getting updates from all over the place. But I will tell you in the lower mainland, uh, it seems like Surrey, uh, South Surrey, White Rock, Tawasson, that's where the snow is falling right now, those those thick flakes that we get here. Uh, downtown Vancouver, uh, very, very rainy, and uh, we will be seeing those beautiful mountains covered in snow probably as we wake up tomorrow following the winter solstice. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the traditions of Christmas. and And some of us you know i have an immigrant family we have different traditions than some of our neighbors here you know we have sort of that european that that danish uh yugoslav background our influences are that we celebrate on christmas eve and we open our gifts after our dinner and then santa comes of course and and we open our stockings in the morning we have we've kind of inaugurated all christmases into how we celebrate the ebb and the flow if you will our next guest uh caught my eye on Twitter and very much caught the eye of others because uh, his tweets went viral. But he did like an anthropological precision view of someone who grew up in a Muslim family and never celebrated Christmas, whose roommates have been teaching him how to, quote unquote, have his first proper Christmas. I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome to the show, Mohammed Hussein. Hello there, Mohammed. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have you on here. I chuckled so hard. I mean, for somebody who maybe hasn't read the thread, can you can you take us on the journey a little bit? What sparked this for you and, and what you said, frankly?
3: Yeah. So it, it, because of the pandemic, I decided not to go home for the holidays because my mother is older and I just wanted to be safe. And I was like, OK, I'll stay here. And my roommates decided the same thing. And they said, you know what? We'll do Christmas here and it'll be great. Um and I honestly thought we would put up a tree and give each other gifts. But it was when we were decorating and um I this is gonna sound really stupid. I don't know what it's called, but it, it's green and it goes around the stairs and, and um, I think it's garland, is that what it is?
0: Yep, yep. Yeah, okay, so
3: we were doing that and <laughs> I was just like, I could not get it. I could not get it. And my roommate was like, What are you doing? I was like, I'm trying to get this around the stairs and she told me she's like, put it through the banister and I was like, Oh, oh yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And in that moment, I realized that there's lessons that she had from her parents and mistakes that she made along the way in her 25 year life Mm
4: -hmm.
3: that prepares you about Christmas. And I had never had those. So at that moment, I was like, okay, let me pay attention to the things that happen over the next few weeks. And some of the observations that I had was truly how much time it takes up. I joke around about it being a part time job. It is. It very much is. It completely is. I, I like sat down to watch Netflix, and I was like, oh, no, you have to go wrap gifts. And I was like, no, I don't. I'm an adult. No, I really if I want to watch Netflix, <laughs> why do I have to spend every single free moment of mine doing Christmas stuff? It's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's a huge commitment. Um,
0: in reading through your thread, and I'm just going to pause there for a second, because Muhammad, in reading through your thread, when you got to that, this is like a part-time job. That's the light bulb moment for me of why yeah. I sometimes don't necessarily enjoy the holiday season as much as some. You know, I, yeah. I enjoy the gathering. Unfortunately, we can't do that. I enjoy the big meals. Unfortunately, we can't do that. I love the cooking and the giving of of those special moments that that we experience but the the commercial piece or what you are or are not allowed to put in a stocking for example is another one where i just laughed out loud at your thread yeah
3: yeah um my mom is muslim so she celebrates ramadan and um that's like a month of fasting pretty much and that too feels like a part-time job but because it's something <laughs> i'm familiar with i tap out i tap it immediately i'm like hey mom i'll support you in this and you tell me what you need from me but I'll play a secondary role. But being a part of Christmas is very different. And it's, you mentioned the stocking. And actually, that was my, the, the moment that I lost it. Because I had spent two hours outside in the Ottawa cold, going to Shoppers Drug Mart, buying my roommates bath bombs and, and chapsticks for their stocking stuffers um, and chocolates as well. And I got some for myself, too, because I thought, you know what, if I'm going to get them stuff, I should probably stuff my own stocking. And I told my roommate, I was like, oh, my God, all three of us great stocking stuffers. And he said, no, you're not allowed to stuff your own stocking. Which I was like, that's ridiculous. It is. Why? (laughs) No one's buying me chapstick. My lips are chapped. It's cold outside. It's dry. Um,
0: And I want what I want. So why wouldn't I? I mean, obviously, Santa stuffs the stockings of the children. And Santa puts, you know, if if you're bad, you get a little lump of coal and whatever. But we all do add a little something something to each other's stockings, for sure. Why not your own? Yeah, no, and
3: definitely Santa's doing the bulk of this work. We're just doing the the extra, uh, the extra things on the side. But yeah, no, it made no sense. But I'm committing to stuffing my own stocking in part. (laughs) Um, yeah. <laughs> the
0: chapstick is wrapped, my friend. Let's think global, act local. We are chatting with Mohammed Hussein, who is a special assistant for parliamentary affairs at the Ministry of Innovation, Science, and Industry. But mostly we all now really know you. Mohammed is the guy who put together this amazing thread on Twitter on how you're having lessons from your roommates on how to have your first proper. <laughs> proper in quotations Christmas and your views, uh, from that perspective, how did that pivot to giving in such a beautiful way on Twitter? Um, yeah, I think,
3: uh, I think I recognize that this is a really, really fun moment. And I am so grateful for all the nice comments and all the people who across Canada and across the world have told me they've been in a similar position where, uh, their partner introduced them to Christmas or, or, or a parent introduced them to Christmas. Um, but at the end of the day, this will just be a really fun moment that I will always look back to. Um, but there's also an opportunity here for however many days that this is viral uh, to also recognize that not every family is as lucky um, as maybe ours might be or other people who who maybe are not having trouble putting food on the table during these times. Um, mm-hmm. So actually, one of my friends pointed out to me, he said this would be a great chance to highlight a couple of local food banks. So I've been trying to do that from um, the community I grew up in, but also where I'm living in Ottawa. But even out there in British Columbia, I I know that there's some great food banks. There's the Vancouver Food Bank, and I'm sure that they could use uh, a lot of support right now. So if if anyone is in a position to give, uh, I think it really does encapsulate the Christmas spirit.
0: It does indeed. And the, uh, e- uh, the address for the Food Bank, the Greater Vancouver Food Bank is foodbank.bc.ca. If you're online, you can also uh, call them directly. The number uh, is 604-876-3601. That's 604 604- Eight seven six three six zero one. You dial two because there's one little piece about the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. We work very closely with them uh, at CKNW and and really all media in 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 very tight with the the food bank. And uh, we know that when cash donations are made, as opposed to the actual non-perishable food item donations, which are amazing, by the way, um, but a cash donation can be turned, like $1 can be turned into $3. So when you can wow. donate even just what it costs for a coffee on your way to work or what have you, that can turn into a significant meal for someone in need. And and I love the way it's really, I mean, watching this thread, Mohammed, I, I urge people, what is your Twitter handle? Give yourself a plug here so people can see it.
3: Yeah, happily. So my Twitter handle is at Mohammed Hussein. And the way you would spell that is M-O-H-A-M-M-A-D-H-U-S-S-A-I-N.
0: It is so much fun to watch what's happening here because it started, as you said, with you trying to help in your hometown with the food bank. And now you're seeing people from all over the world making donations. That has to make yeah, you feel great. like it, something special is happening here.
3: Yeah, and like we have seen throughout this pandemic, I've I've had the chance to speak with a couple of food banks, but help giving has increased. People are donating more than ever to a point where some food banks over the summer had a lot of food because people are recognizing that, you know, it must be a hard time and people want to help. But sometimes we just need a reminder because life gets really busy. So if this is one of those reminders, then I think that's a great
0: opportunity. It is such a great opportunity. Do you have any other fun antidotes you want to share about what you're learning about proper Christmas from your roommates? For those who maybe didn't hear our last segment, I love the fact that you were told you're not allowed to stuff your own stocking and you had to learn how to wrap a garland uh, around the stairway. Something that I can totally relate to. I mean, I've never uh, taken part in that particular uh, part of of decor, but what else?
3: Um, I think two things are what I'm thinking about. First of all was ornaments. I did not know how expensive ornaments are. Um, (laughs) Right? It's it's funny because my roommates, they told me, um, like we were decorating the tree and they had these generic ones and they were like, these are the fillers, you use these to fill the tree. And then they had these really pretty ones from their universities, from their childhood, and they mentioned that these are the keepers. Um, And I remember them telling me, they were like, oh, go out shopping and you'll recognize a keeper ornament because you'll want to keep it. And and I started laughing. I was like, you guys are ridiculous. I'm never going to find an Mm. ornament that I like. This is... This is stupid. But then I remember going out the next day and I was at a Christmas store and I saw an everything bagel ornament. And in that moment, it clicked. I was like, oh, this is a maternal instinct that has grown in me and I must have this ornament and I must take care of it for the remainder of my days. And I I immediately bought it. Um, The everything bagel. $16. It was so expensive. I was like, Christmas trees are are burglaries waiting to happen. It's it's like an investment bank. You just put money on it.
0: It's so true. The consumerism piece is really quite something at Christmas and the pressure that we put on ourselves. <laughs> right. As yeah. as part of this, this is just I mean, it is really something that we can take a moment when reading the thread. On your Twitter again, M O H A M M A D H U S S A I N. I urge you to go read the whole thread. It is so fun, but it also tips your your brain to think. You know what? Maybe I don't need to keep up with the Joneses in the way that I thought I did. Mm. Yeah.
3: Right? I, I well, I would also just say it's really. I'm really grateful for my roommates. there has been nothing short of amazing these past few days and these past few weeks. But I, I can't imagine what Christmas must be like with children. Like, uh, if I did a thread, then I feel like parents could write books on just, like, having to buy gifts for your children, getting them not to rip into the presents earlier baking is something that I know a lot of families are doing. Yeah. So, cannot imagine.
0: It is busy times. You know what? Stay in touch, and and let's let's circle back in the new year. I'm I'm filling in here as well in the new year. I'd like to hear sort of how this continues. I have a feeling it's uh, it's far from done, Mohammed. Thank you for all that you're doing.
3: <laughs> that sounds lovely. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: All right, sports fans, here we go. I'm uh, taking off my news talk radio hat and putting on the old cap that I felt rather comfortable in for 17 years doing sports broadcast. And a couple of uh, the coolest cats that I got to work with are joining me on the line because actually these gentlemen really need very little introduction to hockey fans in particular. If you look up Hockey Insider in the dictionary, their photos pop-up. I'm not kidding you. I'm talking about Nick Kiprios and Doug McClain, hosts of The Real Kipper at Noon podcast. Guys, thank you for hanging with me for the next 30 minutes or so.
1: Wow, Jody. Jody. Did you just call (laughs) Doug McClain an insider? Because
4: that is so insulting to him, because he still considers himself (laughs) NHL management. True. I was nervous, because when I was on hold, they said I was going on with Jody Vance. And Mr. Caprios. I don't know who the <laughs> hell they were talking about. But anyway, when you were introduced me, Jody, I thought you were going to say an NHL insider, John Shannon. But anyway, yeah. I'm excited to be on. Thanks for having me.
0: You're an insider and outsider and all arounder, uh, Mac. You know it. You and I actually spent the last time I saw you in person, both of you, actually, it's been way too long. It was 2011, the Stanley Cup run in Vancouver. You guys were here covering the final round, of course, and, and so much happened. And Doug, I remember you and I walking back to the media hotel from the rink and the the attention that you were garnering here on the streets, people recognizing you. I mean, Kipper, obviously, uh, who can ignore your chisel, chiseled jaw? Your your what, what, what did I see? The ads for the Harry Rosen, right? Like yes, you're all suited yes. up and looking fast. But at the end of the day, we all know each other for the love of the game. And we're staring down a really weird time for the NHL. Certainly an amazing uh, bubble experiment last summer. Uh, how does that translate looking forward? Can can you each take a moment to just uh, to kind of s- to, to, to to dial in what you're seeing and what your expectations are, especially now as we kind of get an idea of when this actually might happen?
1: I'll let Matt go first because then I can contradict everything he says.
0: Okay, sounds cool.
4: <laughs> well, look, I, look, they've done a, a marvelous job of getting the playoffs in. The, you know, the Players Association, the players, the the owners, the NHL, but. This is uh, – I'm excited because I'm excited about a Canadian division. That, that's the one thing that jumps at me is being able to watch a Canadian division. Now, I know there's issues with whether certain teams can play in their markets and hopefully that will be resolved or they will at least play in Edmonton until their situations resolve resolved in their province. But I'm genuinely excited about seeing a Canadian division head-to-head Nonstop, and I'll watch some of the other games every once in a while because I have to because I do this damn real Kipper at noon show. But uh, I'm excited to be quite honest. There's still a ton of logistics to work out. I talked to some American League people last night. They don't have a clue if they're even going to go. How the American League will be affected because of taxi squads? How they're going to ever play in the American League when they don't have any? When they won't have any fans in their building? So. There's some logistics. It's not easy, but I'm excited to be quite honest. Yeah, I I think on the surface, yeah, there's plenty to be excited
1: about, but uh, I don't know what it's going to look like, and they're not going to be anywhere near um, in terms of the dollar amount that they that they'll need to spend to protect the players as as well as they did in the first round in Edmonton and Toronto. So uh, we'll see where this thing shapes up, but a lot of questions. We'll see if Vancouver, where at Vancouver ends up. It cert- certainly doesn't sound like they're going to be playing, um, you know, in, in Vancouver. So what does that mean? Where do they go? And, you know, while, let me get this straight. While possibly the Edmonton Oilers get to play at home, the Vancouver Canucks have to go to what Edmonton to play all their games. Like they're on the road and be away from their families and, Come on, that's a huge disadvantage for Vancouver. So a lot of a lot of questions still need to be answered moving forward here, how this thing kind of shapes up.
0: We're with Nick Caprios and Doug McLean. We're talking uh, NHL hockey it proposed uh, on the table really as a January thirteen targeted start for a fifty six game schedule. Um, the divisions are east. Uh, West, Central, and North. Uh, we the North could be a, a really good campaign to to p- pull out the the Raptors jersey, and even though they're playing in Tampa, uh, pull out the that We the North vibe. And but but trying to figure out how that works. I mean, what was so successful in the playoff bubble, as you mentioned, both of you mentioned in Edmonton and Toronto, was that these teams were able to maintain that quarantine that that cohort vibe and really fenced off a, a small city in order to make it happen around that rink uh, is, is what being what's being proposed currently um kind of some semblance of normalcy with regard to travel like if yeah. if every market is allowed to play at home except for vancouver who knows There, are vancouver or sorry bc ontario and quebec still up in the air are they proposing that teams travel around for for games as as non-COVID times?
4: Well, th- teams will have to travel, for instance, throughout Canada, but it will be within within the borders of Canada. But look, I experienced a little bit down here in the U.S., Jody and Nick, with, uh, with the NFL. I mean, we, mm. we had weekends where the Baltimore Ravens couldn't play because they had 12 guys out with COVID. We had Ohio State Buckeyes go in and play Michigan State in a, in a Big Ten game with 15 of their players out with COVID. I mean, this is, this is challenging to make it happen. And all of a sudden, if, if it hits a team and you know, it, it could happen. It could happen a lot easier than the bubble situation to say the least. I mean, it's great to say, everybody's going to be smart. Everybody's going to be safe. The Baltimore Ravens, it was one of their strength coaches that, that spread it in their situation. So this is tricky. This is tricky business. And, why are they doing it? They're doing it to get the TV money. Let's all be honest. They're playing the world junior for the TV money. They played the big 10 for the U uh, the S college football for TV, the NFL for TV. And now yeah. we're playing the NHL for TV money. And so the players get 70% of their income. I mean, that's, I don't know. Is it worth it? Well, if it's a you know, disaster, it's certainly not worth it. It's uh
1: It's trying to make the best out of a very difficult situation. Uh, They will have their taxi squad. We know that five, six players will be on each team, which really, uh, to Max earlier point, I think shuts down the American Hockey League. Uh, You know, you're going to lose four or five of your top prospects or guys that uh, are probably going to be the best on each uh, respective team. No fans down there. It just doesn't make any sense for them, and they don't have the TV money. So we don't know in terms of uh, how many guys will be exposed or what the rate of, of of positive tests will now turn into a less than stellar bubble like we had in Edmonton and Toronto. But you hope that it's minimal. Uh, somehow, some way, the NFL found ways to fill in their voids, no matter how desperate they were and and in what position. I'm sure the NHL will, will do the same thing. Uh, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna play hell or high water. They're gonna play and they're gonna try to get this season over with.
0: The piece no, that really uh, the, wait, wait. When you're talking about NFL comparisons here, I just have to point out like the 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 number of games in football are so far oh, fewer, totally. right? So the instances of this being really troublesome is something which leads me to you brought up the World Juniors. I mean, how do you guys feel about about this? I mean, we're already hearing about test case positives and we haven't even gotten into the bubble yet.
1: Well, I I think you go ahead, Nick. I was just going to say it's just uh, it's a it's what Max said, you know, and they don't it is it's TV money. And and there's no question that TSN uh, drives a lot of this for the the WIHF. And Hockey Canada and we are talking uh, a contribution that uh, some sources have told me that could fall between 10 and 15 million dollars um, on top of that we know what just live events does for TSN it keeps the motor going it's about subscriptions they don't want to lose subscriptions you know conventional TV has enough trouble as it is uh, with so much so many other options now for, for consumers is that they don't want to lose that live event feeling and uh there's a lot of pressure on these kids to de- deliver big business feel. I kind of feel for them a little bit because they're not pros. I mean right. they're close, but they're not pros and a lot of them are minors. So um you know, it's it's not a it's not a, it's not a great situation but you know, are they being used a little bit here? Absolutely.
0: Jody Vance in for Jill today. And my guests are Nick Kiprios and Doug McLean. They are the co-hosts of Real Kipper at Noon. Glad to have you guys aboard, obviously, to talk all things hockey. And prior to the break, uh, Kipper got his two cents in on thoughts about the World Junior Hockey Championship going ahead. And uh, Mac, I wanted to give you your opportunity to respond here. What are your thoughts on this?
4: Well, look, I, I, I obviously, I love to watch the World Junior, and it's a great tournament. But let's not yes. forget that Hockey Canada funds all a lot of their programs off the proceeds of this we're talking under 17s the women's teams the under 18s everything is funded or a large portion of it is funded because of the world junior dollars that's another reason why obviously they're trying to get it out there hey let's hope it's safe but it's scary
0: And I'm with you on understanding what it funds and and how this generates. And and it also brings us all together at this time of year. I mean, we all get caught up in it. You get get early on round robin days and you're like, did you hear? Did you see? Did you know? But by the time we get down to the short strokes, we are all invested. We are Canadians. It's an example of what we love watching these kids play. But in a global pandemic, when it could be legit dangerous, could we not just take a pause here? I mean, I did kind of say that before the playoffs last summer. I was like, why are we doing This And then, you know, well into it, I was like, oh, my gosh, I just love this so much. So, I mean, I'm battling that because I'm safe at home watching these kids play. And Kipper, you were saying that, you know, they're not pros. They're close to pros, but they're not. And the pressure on these kids and your young men uh, to perform here without the added stresses is really quite something. What's it like from a player's perspective, junior or even NHL level in a pandemic here?
1: Well, in a lot of ways, uh, we're, we're at their mercy because we love the game so much, Jody, and we want to play it, and we want to play it at the highest level. And uh, and that's in our blood, and that'll never change. I mean, I'm 54 years old. If I could snap my fingers and go back and play tomorrow, I would um, because I love the game so much. Uh, but it is a big business, and, and the players get to learn that at a very early age, some of them, you know, 16 years of age, when they move away from home, understand the dynamics of it. And they're, they're seeing it, you know, front and center right now. Um, And listen, I I mean, yeah, if, if you want, you can always say common sense says that we should not play this during a pandemic. Um, But, you know, to a certain extent, and I know that hockey Canada and the WIHF, whatever, um, whatever they've done to secure the players in this bubble in Edmonton won't come close to the 75 to hundred million dollars. The NHL played, but there were a lot of naysayers uh, the first round about um, talk about uh, hub cities uh, for the NHL to conclude their season. And somehow they they found a way to get through it and have the players shine and crown a champion. And no one will ever, you know, we can, sit there and say it's a different stanley cup but tampa bay was very worthy of being crowned 2020 stanley cup champions and let's just hope somehow some way we get through the same thing in the year 2020 for the world juniors
0: i hope so too and i was afraid and and a bit of a naysayer i got to say going into that i told you that in the last uh, segment what were you going to say mac
4: Jody, how embarrassing is it that Nick is fifty-four and he's modeling? Like the only other guy that models at fifty-four <laughs> is George, is George Clooney.
0: Right? I mean, I mean but if he looks like the I George mean, Clooney of Harry hockey, Rosen, I mean, we gotta let it happen. He's modeling, <laughs> he's
4: modeling for Harry Rosen. Like you I do, he makes me a great.
0: I want to talk. talk I've only got like, I've only got about a minute and a half here. So I want to just get your thoughts quickly on Ocean Weisblatt. What happened uh, with regard to playing pond hockey and the, and the altercation that's gone viral. Nick, did you see that?
1: I did. I did. And uh, Jody, all I know is we've seen countless of examples over the last year of similar scenarios. And I, I just, I just don't know how common sense can't come into the equation in in all of that I was disappointed in the behavior Um, and I I don't I I mean I I played the game hard but I knew there was situations on the ice where I I can I can escalate it and get it to but I I just didn't see that in this situation um, where we needed uh, that much of a physical presence but Again, I'm not I'm not an officer of the law. I don't have to live it every day. I don't have to wear their shoes and and know what they're the dangers that they're in. And I'm not I'm not defending them in any way. But I I just I'm I'm just tired like everybody else of seeing these scenarios.
0: Unnecessary altercations, guys. I got to leave it there. I really love this. It went by way too fast. Can we do it again?
4: we can Jody. Um, i'm and, and i'm really busy since i retired i <laughs> but i would so squeeze, busy jody i would squeeze it in for you i love that you know, anytime
1: jody, jody did you, you catch that doug's hint that he wants a new tie for me from harry rosens yes, did you get drop that hint? the
0: harry rosens <laughs> i i also would like a pocket square if you wouldn't mind nick kiprios and doug McLean here on the jill bennett show it was a pleasure thanks guys